thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Today, we're finished. I guess we're not finishing. We're continuing. I almost got in trouble. We're continuing talking about my favorite story. And this one is on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I like this story. This story is wonderful and uh, for many different reasons. But I wanted us to kind of, before we start talking about that exact story, I want us to kind of take a step back and look at history, kind of get, a, get caught up to this point in Daniel chapter 3. So at the very beginning of Daniel, we have Judah kind of being overthrown by Babylon, and we have the, the Israelites that were living in that part of the kingdom being uh, taken into captivity. So you had uh, this huge, big project, I would call it, and uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar. He had this great idea that he would take the best-looking men, young men, the brightest young men, those who had the most potential, and he would bring them as young teenagers, and he would indoctrinate them into being good Babylonians. What better way to make your enemies angry than to take their young people, indoctrinate them, and make them become the best poster child of your enemy? So he decided, I'm going to do that. And we have Daniel and his friends, although uh, his friends had other names. These are their Babylonian names. But we had Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all part of that indoctrination. They were all part of that, let's get these young men in to become good Babylonians. And then we have Daniel interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And at that point, the king Nebuchadnezzar seemed to like the God of Israel at this point, the God of, of the, the Hebrews. And then we later again find out he kind of went his own way. He got that big head and he ended up believing he was more powerful than even God. But at that moment in Daniel 2, in Daniel 1 and 2, we see that he put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the providence of, of Babylon. So he made them pretty important in the governing kind of body of Babylon. Now this, of course, would make, in my mind, the Babylonians very upset. And that kind of gets us all the way caught up to, to Daniel chapter 3. Now before we we kind of step into Daniel 3 again, I want to ask you a question and just think of, how would you feel if you were one of these three, four young men who were taken from the only home they knew and placed in a new country, speaking a language you really did not know, with a culture you, you were not really familiar with, and plopped right down in the middle of it? Well, you would feel pretty uncomfortable. I would feel uncomfortable. I kind of like being in control a little bit. At least I don't like being out of control. I like knowing what the plan is. I like knowing what's coming up next. And I don't like feeling out of place. And I can imagine that for these young men, this was not something they thought they would find themselves in. They were like, well, this is not the way I thought life would go. But here they are. They're in Babylon, learning a new language, learning a new culture, being indoctrinated with this, these new beliefs to worship these fake gods, gods that they did not believe in, learning a culture that they were not a part of, all because Nebuchadnezzar wanted to have this program to turn his enemies into the best Babylonians. 
So several years later, this is possibly between chapter 2 and chapter 3, several years later, Nebuchadnezzar, as we, we could read in the first part of chapter 3, says King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth 6 cubits. Now a cubit is about 18 inches. So this turns out to be about 90 feet tall. So roughly a nine-story tall image of gold. Now that is it's quite massive, quite large. I'm not quite sure how tall this room is, but I would guess maybe three stories-ish. So, I mean, imagine this three times as tall, maybe more. I don't, I'm bad at estimating. But it's a massive structure of gold that's just standing in the way. And Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to have this, this meeting with all the governing officials. So he has this meeting and he ordered the, governing, the government officials, which would include Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, since now they're over the providence of Babylon. And he said, when you hear all this music play, I want you to bow down and worship this image of gold I've instructed, or I've built, or I've had built. And this kind of puts us in a predicament, or puts them in a predicament. What do we do? Do we, we know? Because now the threat is, if you don't do this, the king said, you'll be immediately thrown into the furnace, and you'll be put to death. Now this furnace, I've looked up, I've seen numbers anywhere from, you know, 1,200 degrees to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that, that's awfully hot, in case you didn't know. <laughs> so, you know, that would be, a, a, I'm not sure how quick death or a painful death, but nonetheless, it would be death. And they're saying, this is what the punishment is if you don't bow down and worship this image of gold. Now, I would imagine this might start going through some of our heads, maybe my head, maybe even their head, I wonder if they thought, well, what if we just fake it? What if we just bow down, but we'll really be praying to our God? We won't be worshiping this idol, uh, uh, this, this idol of gold, but they'll think we are, and at least we won't die, but God knows what's in our heart. I could see that justification maybe tempting them. But as we see, the important thing is to accept that we, well, that's just out of order. Uh-oh. I made it backwards. We have to maintain faithfulness in the face of being outnumbered. I'm sorry, my slides are, <laughs> that's awesome. But I want to, to this is, this is going to throw me off for a second. Regain composure. So this is uh, probably the, the tempting part of this story, where they were outnumbered. They were the only ones who were possibly going to not bow down to this, this structure of gold. But they knew that if they just faked it, no one would know any different. I'm reminded of Jesus' words when he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Well, they didn't have Jesus' words at this point. All they had left at this point was their integrity. Would they worship God with integrity would they stand up for God with integrity or would they fake it so everybody thought they were just fitting in and then they could always just pray later, they could ask for forgiveness later, but at least God would know they weren't really worshiping the idol. You could see that tempting part to try to stay alive. But instead, they chose to, well, literally take a stand. So when the music played and... Everyone starts bowing down. 
imagine a room full of, of governing officials all bowing down and then the three friends just not even moving. Uh, I would imagine it wasn't like, oh, maybe they won't notice us. Maybe if we just stand real still, they won't see us. No, this was, okay, these three guys aren't doing it. I mean, it was all attention now was on them. And I imagine at that point became even more pressure. Well, maybe to give in, maybe to try to run away, but we see them still standing for truth, knowing what the punishment was. You know, they knew what the risk was. And I love what's next. As we read what's next, what's next, all the way in uh, verse 8. Uh, I like what happened here, and, I, and I'll say it, I like it, I like it sarcastically. It says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Okay, well now they're, they're sucking up. You know, they're, they're trying to get buddy-buddy with the king. They're, they're kind of going after his arrogance. And they're saying, King, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tig- a trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So he, there, obviously, king knows what he declared, but they're saying, O oh, king, we know you've done this. You're so great. You're so mighty. And then they said, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were playing to his arrogance. They were playing to his power. They were playing to... Also, they found a weakness. They said, those Jews that you brought into our country and you put over us, they're not listening to you. He knows he could lose control real quick. He could, and also, if he doesn't take care of them, then who else might not fall in line? They already were saying, King, we didn't want you to bring them here in the first place. And not only did you bring them here and teach them our ways, when you should have just, you know, they, they wanted to wipe them out. Not only did you bring them here, but now you've fallen in love with these guys. You, you've, you've, they've, they've tricked you, and you've put them in a power position, and now they're ignoring you, they're not following you, and you need to take care of this problem. I can imagine the king, he's angry. One, he's angry because they didn't listen to him. He's also angry because he has a problem on his hands. If they don't fall in line, who's next? And now he's angry because his reign's being threatened, his power's being threatened, his, his whole kingdom could be in trouble all because of these three men. But you see, they still maintain faithfulness. I could imagine these three men, they knew the Chaldeans were, were attacking them. They knew they had no friends. No one wanted them there except the king and those who were part of this, this genius plan to, to, to you know, indoctrinate these men. But it wasn't working. But imagine being alone. You don't have your friends left. You don't have your family left. 
You're still teenagers being plucked from your home, placed in a country you really don't know, you're not familiar with, and now you have this massive test you have to pass. Are you going to serve God, remain faithful, even when you're outnumbered? It's just three of you versus the in, in, in Daniel, but three of you versus the entire country. And now all the people in power are watching you and out to get you. Again, it would be easy to fake it. It would be easy just to say, we're going to go through the motions. God really knows our heart. And at least we won't die. And maybe we'll do more good alive than we would if we're dead. You could see that, that trying to justify this. At least that would go through, through my mind. But they still remain faithful. Now for us, especially in, this, in the country that we live in, uh, I don't know anyone, maybe there's someone in this room that's been threatened with death for their faith. But we're threatened with other things. Maybe we're outnumbered at school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's on the ball field. Or, or maybe it, it's, you know, we're, it's on the road where we have to decide are we going to be faithful or not. No, I'm just kidding. Let's not talk about road rage. But I can imagine it's very difficult even for us to remain faithful, even when outnumbered. Because we are outnumbered. That's just part of life. That's part of living the Christ way. But we have to maintain faithfulness. And we'll talk about that in, in just a second. In Matthew 5, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And I think of that, and I think of these three men. They, they couldn't hide their faith. It was very obvious that they were going to remain faithful. It was very obvious that they weren't going to bow down to this golden image. And we'll see them time and time again dig their heels in the ground and keep their faith. But I have to ask us, you know, we just have finished VBS, and we just sang the song about this little light of mine. And I love this, and, and, I've, and I've posed this question before, but when we sing that song, are we singing with integrity? Are we singing honestly? Do we actually mean we'll let our light shine, that we won't hide it under a bushel when it's inconvenient? Are we going to let Satan blow our light out? See, here, it was inconvenient. If there was ever a time it was inconvenient to stand up for Christ, or to stand up for God in this case, it was at the, at, at the risk of being thrown in a fiery furnace. When there was no one there to, to have your back, when there was no one there who could put a stop to it, they were on their own but they maintained their faithfulness. And I think that brings us, oh, oh, he fixed it for me. And uh, that we are not in control. Now, show of hands, who likes to be in control? Yeah, a lot of hands go up. Now, a better question, who likes to be out of control? No one likes to be out of control, right? I mean, maybe you're, you're out of control being wild, but no, you know, whether you want to be in control, but no one wants to feel out like you, you're out of control. Like you, you have no control over what's next. That's very hard. That's what these men were going through. That we have to accept in life that we're not really the ones in control. And what I mean by that is God is in control. King Nebuchadnezzar never learned that. <laughs> he always wanted to be in control. When they came to him and said, King, there are these men, and they're not listening to you, they were playing to that I want to be in control kind of attitude. And then he tried to even fix it. And, and I love what happened. He called them in, 
And it's almost like he's chastising his poster boy children. Because these were his poster boy, most successful, brightest, smartest, handsomest, three men from captivity. And he's changed them. They're going to be his new poster for what a good Babylonian looks like. And now all of that's about to go away. And he says, is it true? Did you really refuse to bow down? And he goes, hey, we're going to do it again. <laughs> do over. You get, a, you, get, you get a mulligan. You know, He goes, we're going to try all over again. And if you refuse this time, you're going to immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. And I like, I don't like, but it's, it's kind of interesting what he says next. He says, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? What God is there that can stop me from hurting you? That's, that's arrogance. But the most powerful man all, all in the known world at this time was the most powerful man. They were the, he had never saw really true failure yet. And he's saying, who can stop me? Sometimes we get like that. We like to be in control. We say, no one can, can tell me otherwise. Don't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do it this way. I know more. I know best. You know, when we sin, we're telling God, I have a better way. I know more than you. You know, sure, you said don't do this, but it's not really that bad. It won't hurt me too much. I'm going to do it my way because my way is greater than your way. Well, no, uh, God's way is better than our way. And see, here King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to keep control so much that he even said, there's not a deity in the world that can stop me. Now, they worship some, in their minds, pretty powerful deities too. But they got of the universe, the one true living God. He's saying, what God can stop me from throwing you into the fiery furnace? I'm the one in control here. You have no power here. You, you have no leg to stand on, is what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. And I can't help but wonder if this is the main reason why God stepped in, but by, to teach him a lesson, but also to protect his people. But he's saying, you have no power here. I'm the one in control here. Therefore, when we play this music, you better bow down. He's trying to flex. He's trying to show them that he's greater than they are. I wonder if we sometimes act like King Nebuchadnezzar in other ways. Because it wasn't like he hadn't heard about this God before. It wasn't like he hadn't learned about it from Daniel. It wasn't like he hadn't seen what they had done before and throughout all of history. But his stubbornness got in the way. His stubbornness and his desire for control, his desire for power, his desire for personal preference. See, sometimes for us, we put our preferences ahead of Scripture. We put our preferences ahead of doing what's right. We put our preferences where they supersede godliness. And that might, that might sound harsh, but we like the way we've always done it. We like the way we want to do things. So we'll complain, we'll grumble, we'll, we'll, we'll whisper, we'll gossip, because it's not the way I wanted to do it. And then because of that and the way we're acting supersedes that godliness all because I want to be in control. I want things done my way. And when we get to that point where my way is more important than God's way, 
when I become more important than God, at least in my mind, that becomes a huge problem. All because I've not accepted that I'm really not in control. But then we have to learn to live at peace with God's will. That's the hardest part of this whole lesson. And it's probably my favorite part. My favorite part of this story isn't when they were saved through the fiery furnace. My favorite part isn't when there's that fourth figure and who's that fourth figure. My favorite part isn't when Nebuchadnezzar went, call them out, wonderful, your God's a true living God. I know that probably should be my favorite part, but it's not. Because here's my favorite part. They answer him and they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And notice throughout this whole response, they're not disrespectful. They address him and they address him, you know, with your majesty and O king. They're still being respectful. But they say, we we have no need to answer this because you know what we're going to do. We know what we're going to do. He says, if this be so, because if you're really going to follow through with your threat, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So he says, our God is able. He says, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Because, and we know he's going to help us. But I like this next part. But if not, because, but if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. So they say, we know he's able, and we're fully convinced he's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to be faithful. Even if God's will is not our will, even if God's will isn't for us to be saved in this moment, we're still going to be faithful. How are they able to say that with such confidence? How are they able to, to be at peace with knowing that even if they were wrong and they weren't going to be saved from the earthly death, that they were okay with it? That's all. I still kind of struggle to wrap my mind around that, other than to say they knew in the end God would be glorified. They said, even if we aren't saved, even if it doesn't work out on earth for us, as long as God is glorified, then it's a win. As long as God is glorified, then we, and we remain faithful, then we've done our part. See, if in their mind, living would be, hey, it worked out for us. And sometimes we want things to work out for us. We want to be successful in everything. But, but here's, here, here's the truth, and it's a hard truth. Nowhere in the Bible does God command us to be successful. He commands us to be faithful. We've been commanded to be faithful and not successful. In their mind, they understood that being a success, especially in Babylon, wasn't really what they were called to do. They were called to remain faithful. They said, oh, king, if you're going to throw us in that furnace, that's fine. Our God is greater than you are, and, and he's able to save us, and he's going to save us. But if he chooses not to save us, we're still not going to give in. We're still not going to bow down. I wonder if our prayers in our lives should, should look more like this if they should look more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when we pray, sometimes I'm afraid when we say, if it be your will, 
we're not really using if it be your will like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not actually okay if our prayer doesn't get answered with yes. And this may sound harsh, may sound judgmental, but it's just from conversations, conversations I've had with other people that sometimes I wonder if when we say, please heal so-and-so if it be your will, we really don't believe it's going to happen. So we say, if it be your will, as if to give God an excuse. And I know that may not be true for you, but I wonder if that's what we do sometimes. If we really don't believe God will save us, we really believe this, but if he doesn't, we're okay with that too. Would we be okay if every single prayer we, we ask God for, the answer was no? How many of us would get sick and tired of that pretty quick? Well, I, I would be pretty, pretty upset. I'd be very confused because I don't understand what God understands. God has all knowledge. He knows what's best for him to be glorified, and he will be glorified in the end. Now, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were rescued. They were saved. And God was glorified, especially when the king brought them out and he declared that God, that God was the one true God. That's wonderful news. But the part that I think applies to us the most is this, this point right here. To learn to live at peace with the will of God. Now, learning to live at peace doesn't mean we understand it. Doesn't mean we understand when the answer is no. Doesn't mean when we, we understand when something bad happens or when something doesn't go the way we want it to go. doesn't mean we're going to understand it. It just means that we respond appropriately to it. We respond in a way saying, God, I, I don't understand this, but I'm going to remain faithful and trust in you because of two things. One, remember God's faithfulness. That He's always done what's right for me before. He's always done what's best for me. I often compare, and we talked about this very briefly in our class this morning with uh, the middle schoolers, that sometimes, for those, of us, for those of us who have younger siblings or who have children, uh, there's times when, when we try to, to help them not do something that will hurt them. And to them, a lot of times, they don't understand it. And sometimes they have to learn the hard way. Like, don't touch the stove when it's red because it's hot. Well, some kids have to be like, well, is it really hot? And you have to test. It's like the wet paint sign. I always think someone forgot to take it down. I never trust the wet paint sign, but then it's always wet. So maybe I, I should trust it. But how infinitely more knowledgeable is a parent and a child? Well, much more knowledgeable. They have all that life experience. Now, how much even more infinitely knowledgeable is God than us? But too often we'll say, oh, I know better. I know more. Sometimes it's just trusting that God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty and God's knowledge and his wisdom supersedes that of ours and that we need to respond in turn and be faithful to him. And then I'll, that I'll kind of brings that next point. We've already mentioned it very briefly, which is to remember to keep our integrity. That when we've claimed a life of Christ, that means we no longer live for ourselves, but live for God. You know, Paul talks about that in Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Right? It's no longer my life. It's no longer doing things my way, but it's doing things God's way. And then that is how we can live at peace with God's will. When it no longer is about us and it's all about him. See, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had right. 
They said, it's not about us. You can do whatever you want to us, but don't talk bad about our God. Don't attack our God. And they were there warning, and they're like, this is not a good idea. Our God is, is greater than you are. And throughout the entire life of Nebuchadnezzar, he learned that. He learned who was really in control. So this morning, if you're struggling with who's really in control, maybe you're struggling with standing up in the midst of being outnumbered. Maybe you are in a place, whether it's at school or whether it's at work, where you might really be the only one who might stand for truth. Remaining silent sometimes is just as bad. Because that's, that's a form of denial. That's a form of not standing. Too often we'll say, well, I'm just not going to take, take part in it. But we are in a spiritual warfare. There's two sides. There's good and evil. There's, not, there's no saying, I'm not taking sides. I'm not playing. I'm not fighting in this war. When we become a Christian, we said, I'm going to fight. Kind of like, again, the VBS song, I'm in the Lord's army. Well, we're either in that army or the other army. And we have to decide what we're going to do. Or maybe this, this point right here is the one you're really struggling with. Learning to live at peace with God's will. God's will may be confusing to us. God's will may not make sense to us. It may not even work out where we are lifted up on this earth. But it's not about us being popular, having good status, being successful in life. It is about us being faithful in responding to things in life knowing that how our response can glorify God will help others see Him and learn about Him, and they too can glorify Him. So whether you need prayers from this congregation, whether you need to be uplifted, or maybe you need to turn your life around. Maybe you, you haven't become a Christian yet. You've been kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, doing life your way. And you need to say, it's no longer about me, but it's about living for Jesus. Maybe you need to be buried in the waters of baptism, to be raised, to walk in newness of life. Whatever your need is, please come now while we stand and sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.